Hi there, I'm Rob Verkirk bringing you another Coronacast from the Alliance for Natural Health International. It's impossible to doubt that our species is amidst a health crisis. As it turns out, so are many other species as we propel starship Earth ever deeper into what is the planet's sixth mass extinction. The question more and more people are asking themselves is, how much of the 2020 health crisis that looks set to continue into 2021 is actually caused by the SARS-CoV-2 virus, and how much is caused by the way we, especially our governments, have reacted to the virus? So this short video makes the case that it's our reaction to the virus that's already caused and is set to cause in the future by far the greatest and longest lasting negative impacts. Let's now break this down and see how we've come to this view. There are two main ways a disease can seriously impact our health, the function of society and economies, and therefore the all-important socioeconomic determinants of health. One is by a lot of people getting very sick, not being able to go to work and, and dying prematurely. The other is by overburdening our healthcare services. And actually on both counts, the latest data shows us that in contrast to what the mainstream media and politicians would have us believe, COVID-19 is far from the most dangerous threat to health. Putting some perspective on it, 6.8 million children under the age of five have already died this year. About the same number of people, around 1.5 million, who've died with not of COVID, have died of HIV AIDS, often at much younger ages. Only slightly fewer have died in road traffic accidents, and three times this number of deaths have been caused by smoking, and five times more have been caused by cancer. So in terms of deaths, there is now broad agreement that owing to the different ways in which deaths have been recorded in relation to COVID-19, the most reliable way, the gold standard of looking at COVID's contribution is via excess mortality, typically the number of additional deaths that have occurred in a given week or month as compared against the same time over the last five years. Because we're now well and truly over the first wave, we shouldn't be making decisions based on what happened historically during the first wave. The, the virus has now mutated over 200 times and more and more people have already been exposed to it, so some degree of immunity has already been achieved. We must look instead at the present as well as the trends going forward. And while it's hard to ignore the very raised excess mortality in some, but certainly not all countries during the first wave, the pattern of excess mortality, even in the most hard hit countries during the first wave is now pretty typical for the time of year. We see that Belgium and Italy in particular are outliers currently with higher than average excess mortality for the time of year. But it's therefore no exaggeration to say at its worst during the first wave, COVID posed a threat that was in line with a bad flu season. And right now for the vast majority of the world, it looks a lot like a typical flu season. Even the USA that's been one of the hardest hit countries, excess mortality never rose more than 50% at the peak of the first wave in the north, didn't exceed 30% in the south. Excess mortality in the UK doubled largely because not enough was done to protect the vulnerable in care homes. 
Sweden, that was put in the naughty corner for its light and voluntary lockdown approach, now seems to be enjoying the double benefit of an economy that's barely missed a beat and a population that's enjoying negative excess mortality. In other words, fewer people now are dying than was the case in the pre-COVID era. The long and short of this is that hospitals are overrun in a few places in the Northern Hemisphere. And these, of course, get a lot of publicity, but they're not in most places. What the mainstream media doesn't like to tell us is that this is actually the pattern in other years at this time of year. The greater pressures of respiratory diseases and cold weather have for many years threatened, overburdened, oversubscribed healthcare systems during the winter months. As you can see here, looking at data from the UK Intensive Care National Audit and Research Centre, ICNARC, the tan line here shows the number of critically ill patients with confirmed COVID-19 is increasing, but it's nothing like the numbers in April. And of course, confirmation of COVID doesn't mean that SARS-CoV-2 is the primary cause of the concern that caused the patients to be admitted into critical care in the first place. Balanced against that, other non-COVID pneumonias, notably caused by flu, are lower. So the net burden is therefore pretty much normal for the time of year. We're starting to see the publication of more and more reports that are pointing in one direction, that most of the damage to health, society and economies are the result of government policies, not the virus itself. These policies, for the first time in history, remove people's ability to manage the risk of infection themselves, in the process causing catastrophic impacts on livelihoods, on businesses and economies, the very things that most people rely on to stay afloat. It's also the very source of damage that Sweden chose to avoid, and its economy has fared better than almost any other in the Western world. What's more, the acquired immunity of its population seems to be protecting Sweden's population from a second wave of infection. Much of the hysteria about COVID is being driven by focusing attention on cases measured by PCR tests, not cases of disease. There's an ever-growing literature of publication that's making clear that most commercial antigen tests using reverse transcriptase, RT-PCR, looking for SARS-CoV-2, relies on a cycle threshold, or CT, that is in excess of 35. The RT part means that RNA in this or any other virus is converted into a matching sequence of D DNA and is then amplified, doubled, 35 or more times. So one study by Jared Bullard and colleagues from the University of Manitoba in Canada published in the Journal of Clinical Infectious Diseases, found very little infectivity in patients who tested positive with CT values greater than 24. And another study published in the same journal led by Bernard Lascola from IHU in Marseille, France, found that for CT values of 35 or more, only 3% of cultures were infected. Yet most commercial tests can run up to 40 to 45 CT, and those who receive positive test results are not told the CT value that triggered that positive result. This is crucial, especially in non-symptomatic, pre-symptomatic, or 
asymptomatic individuals with either no or likely low viral loads. A positive result with a high CT value will be detecting viral fragments or bits of closely related virus like the common cold that have no ability to infect another person. Adding to that, the problems of very high rates of false positives when the prevalence is low. That's linked to Bayes' theorem that we discussed in a previous video. Incredibly, given there's a wild west of mass testing going on out there, there's still no true gold standard by which to compare PCR tests. Bottom line, mass testing of the general population is very unreliable and it's bordering on the fringe of scientific lunacy to base enforced isolation, travel bans, visits to sports or entertainment events, or government-mandated lockdowns on a flawed mass testing regime. But hey, that's what governments are doing anyway. When times are tough, it's more important than ever that we're solution-based, and here's our top three solutions. Trying to hide away from a virus, the threat of which to the global population has been greatly exaggerated. Crashing economies in an effort to escape a single virus and removing people's rights and freedoms as a means of trying to control the spread of this one virus is looking ever more difficult to justify scientifically, socially and economically. Let's stop the politicians from trying to play scientists and then trying to justify their decisions politically. While the science will in time be so overwhelming and inescapable, right now the surest and the quickest way of trying to halt the madness is using the accumulating evidence in courts of law to upend the irrational policies being enforced on hundreds of millions of people around the world. Let's do this before the next new virus appears. This particular coronavirus, whether deliberately or unintentionally, has been used as the doorway for global governance at huge cost to citizens around the world. Secondly, let's all work on developing as much as we can the protective effect of well-being, something that's been actually known for years. People who suffer more severe consequences of COVID disease generally suffer from underlying conditions or are older. That means the allostatic load on their systems is greater, so they have less capacity available for their immune systems to overcome the virus. They may also have insufficient resources for their immune systems to work. And most of these resources come from our diets and simple vitamins like vitamins D, C, A and zinc, the mineral. In a word, the people who suffer most are those who are less resilient. And for most of us, there's an awful lot we can do to improve our resilience. Thirdly, let's share what we know to be factual and true via whatever medium or platform you find is still working. Because there's never been a time in the so-called once free world when so much of the world's media was attempting to control a given narrative while also trying to root out dissenting voices. So we're saying to the government, you've talked about an online harms bill, you've talked about holding social media platforms responsible, we will work with you on a cross-party basis to get that legislation on the statute book. Our freedom of expression and freedom of thought has long been one of the best things about the human race.
Let's not let this right be stripped from us for the sake of a few that seek to benefit from a widely misunderstood virus. So a big thank you from us here at the ANH team for all your effort in sharing this video and as well as others. And we know it would be censored on YouTube if we loaded it there. You'll find plenty more on the video section accessible from the homepage of our website. So thank you.